Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Okay, welcome everybody again to the podcast. Today I'm joined by my colleague, Lizzie Smith. Lizzie's a project manager here at All4. Lizzie was born and raised in Georgia, where we are both sitting, recording this episode. Her career started at a pulp and paper mill. We're used to those, where she served as an environmental wastewater engineer for several years. And she joined All4, and she's since honed her craft on the air side as well, while always making sure to remember her wastewater roots. So it's fitting then that she joins me today to talk about NPDES permitting. So Lizzie, welcome. And is there anything else that you want to share just in the way of introduction for our audience? Um, Thanks, Colin. I'll just share that I live in the Augusta, Georgia area with my husband and our cat. Very nice. All right, so let's get into it, Lizzie. Topic of the day, NPDES permitting. So as a as primarily an air guy, or at least my history has been, I can appreciate the importance of these permits and the renewal process, which we'll focus on with some practical advice like we always try to do, practical and forward-looking. So we always view Title V air operating renewals, operating permit renewals, as strategic opportunities to streamline, to tighten up, to take a fresh look at obligations. So how do you view NPDES permits? I assume similar. And if so, what's the goal of an NPDES renewal process, generally speaking? Yeah. So we we certainly encourage our clients to be strategic about NPDES renewals, just like we do with Title V renewals. Uh, the, and, you know, the end goal on this is just to get a permit that you're happy with that that maybe is more comfortable to you or there, there may be some, some things you're able to get rid of or adjust from your existing permit. Uh, the biggest thing that comes to mind here is related to technology-based effluent limits that are based on effluent limitation guidelines, which are often based on facilities production rates. So if your facility has had an increase in production over your past permit term or anticipates an increase in production, such as if you have an approved capital project that's going to increase Production at your facility, that's definitely something to look into and reflect in your renewal application so you can get the most out of your production-based effluent limits for the next permit term. A couple other things are just to think about any other limits or monitoring requirements that are particularly burdensome. Uh, You can take this opportunity to kind of dig into the regulatory background for those and see if there's any argument for requesting an adjustment as part of the renewal. That makes sense. So look at things that are stringent, cumbersome, things like that. A chance to better understand them. It's Absolutely. A, it's a chance as part of a normal cycle. That all makes sense. So we view the renewals as, as opportunities to improve. Are there, are there other key examples, Lizzie, that tend to come up during typical renewals that folks can look at as part of the process? Absolutely. So I just mentioned the technology-based effluent limits, which get evaluated each permit term as well as monitoring requirements and frequency of those monitoring requirements, Uh, particularly if you have a strong baseline of data for a particular monitoring requirement that shows fairly consistent results, you know, over your permit history, you likely can argue for a reduction in frequency unless it's something that's, for example, specified in a state or federal rule. 
Also tend to think about any issues that tend to crop up. Like if you have any issues around heavy rainfall um, or severe weather, bring those up with any proposed solutions as part of the renewal process, such as an alternate discharge point or alternate monitoring frequency. It doesn't hurt to bring those up in, in conversations with agencies as, as, as part of the renewal process. So from the standpoint of putting together a renewal application, knowing that there are some common areas to improve, but but in general, from an application standpoint, we know we always want to put together applications that, that make it easy for the agency to navigate, that make sure we communicate the things that we're most concerned with, streamline where we can. But what's a general best practice or two to consider as part of the next renewal application that you have to put together? The biggest thing that I have to offer here is to understand the technical basis for your permit limit requirements, especially if this may be your first time going through a renewal at your facility. This will just help arm you with any information that you need to request changes or negotiate with your agency. Uh, there may be some things that are set in stone by the rules that you're applicable to, the regulations that you're applicable to, and unlikely to change. And there may be some other things that are more up for the agency's discretion. So it's kind of important to know the difference between what has wiggle room and what doesn't. Also, another thing to keep in mind, if your industry has an environmental trade group, they're often really great resources to engage in the renewal process. They're in tune with what's going on across the industry. They have looked at a lot of permits, most likely, for facilities similar to yours. So we recommend engaging with them when you begin your renewal effort and asking them to review your application and any sampling data prior to submittal. Lizzie, thinking about limits that that might be in place, I'm just kind of curious, off, off the beaten path question as I heard you talk, from the standpoint of, of the effluent limits, what's the general mix of those tend to be? I know these permits are all, you know, they're all different, but what's the kind of mix typically like in terms of limits that may be production based or something like that, where there may be room to, to change or modify them versus effluent limits that are more sort of state SIP, I guess you could call them like regulatory numbers. What What's that balance normally look like just for, for folks who may not be as familiar with the process? Yeah, I'm not really sure what kind of percentage-wise limits tend to be uh, production-based versus I think water quality-based is probably yeah. what, what you're getting at. Sure. Um, so if it really depends on the receiving water body. If the receiving water is impaired, if it's a smaller stream, it's more likely to have more stringent water quality-based limits than what you might get if they were just production-based, um, or if there are perhaps a lot of dischargers on the stream contributing to loading. Yeah. Um, so those are those are some things that could contribute to having a water quality limit instead of a production-based limit. So it's it's interesting to me. I mean, you sort of compare it to an air situation, and uh, you see a lot more, maybe more geographically specific considerations that have to be made around these permits, hence the importance of understanding them, um, especially if there's been facility turnover and things like that. So that makes sense. Okay, let's move on to a different aspect of these permits. Uh, let's talk sampling. So I know we've discussed in, in the past the importance of understanding sampling requirements, knowing the implications of frequency. Could you speak to that concept in general? What, what should folks be thinking about when it comes to sampling? What should they be considering? Absolutely. So aside from the monitoring requirements in your MPDS permit that are routine, you know, you may be required to monitor things daily, a few times a week, weekly, monthly, quarterly, et cetera. 
Um, when you go through the MPDS renewal, you're often required to do some extensive sampling and analysis beyond those parameters. So it's really important as you start out that process to review any state or industry-specific requirements for what parameters you need to include as part of that. Um, your state may have requirements on the number of sampling events required, any kind of weather conditions around the sampling events. And then you also need to make sure that the laboratory who's conducting your testing understands, you know, what exactly you need and that whoever is going to be collecting your samples understands any requirements around container volume, hold time, sample handling, shipping, all that sort of thing. Um, and a, a big takeaway here is to make sure you allow plenty of time for that entire process so that you have time to repeat any sampling if needed in case of a data quality issue, if your samples get lost on the way to the lab, or if you have an unexpected result and you'd like to do a repeat test. Um, so it's just a good idea to allow, you know, a couple months for that entire process of figuring out what sampling you need to be done, getting a contract with a lab, collecting and shipping samples and receiving results. Um, so it's just an important thing to plan for when you when you think about when to start your renewal application. That makes sense. You kind of back out those timelines. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm hearing about understanding limits, the basis of them. I'm hearing about the frequency of some of the obligations and looking at that as part of the renewal based on some historic data. Maybe we could streamline some things that way. A lot of layers to sampling in terms of what that could look like. So that's all good good feedback. So thinking about all those things, my next question is around working with the agency. Like I mentioned, we're always trying to make things as streamlined as we can help them to streamline the process. From an agency perspective, when does it make sense to have pre-application meetings with the state? What situation calls for that? And if it does make sense, what kind of things would you cover? And maybe maybe it's just the list of things we've already talked about. So I'm curious to hear about that. Yeah, we, we always encourage doing pre-application meetings. Even if your renewal seems to be pretty straightforward, this is just a great opportunity to kind of check in with your agency, make sure you understand their expectations for the renewal, and ask about anything new that you maybe should expect to see in your renewed permit, if there's any new monitoring requirements that they're putting in NPDES permits or anything like that. Um, it's just a great opportunity to have a collaborative discussion with your regulators. So we, we encourage that. And there's a lot of pros to that, even if your, your renewal is pretty straightforward. If you are requesting any changes, if you have a production increase coming up, if you're trying to reduce a monitoring requirement frequency, this is a great time to talk through any of those changes with the agency, kind of gauge their willingness to, to look into it or any questions that they have. Um, and then what they will need to see in the renewal application in order to give those requests proper consideration. Got it. Appreciate that. Okay. So that's all great feedback about NPDES, the routine application process. Moving to a, a different subject to end the episode here. I've seen some headlines recently about NPDES as it relates to the new EPA administration and PFAS. So I know that's always a hot-button topic for folks. What do facilities need to know right now about some of these headlines, and and how does it impact folks potentially? All right, so a couple um, headlines here about NPDES and PFAS. There was an interim memo issued by US EPA back in November that encouraged EPA and PDES writers, so that's for EPA-issued permits. There are a handful of states that don't have their own NPDES program, and their NPDES permits are issued by EPA. Um, so for those states, 
permit writers are encouraged to consider incorporating requirements for monitoring PFAS where PFAS is expected to be present. So for certain industries that PFAS is expected to be present effluent um, and for which there is an EPA validated analytical method. And then also for those facilities or facilities with stormwater permits, uh, those permit writers are considering pollutant control measures for those, those stormwater pollutants, again, where PFAS is expected to be present. Some states uh, that have their own NPDES programs are beginning to require certain industries to include PFAS data and NPDES renewal applications or general monitoring requirements. We're just kind of starting to hear that from our conversations with um, regulators in different states. So this, again, is a great topic to bring up at a pre-application meeting as it is likely to be kind of state and industry specific. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, PFAS sort of starting to work its way into this this water permitting process. So we'll keep track of that. And Lizzie, hopefully we can have you back as maybe some more of that develops and we hear some more going out into the future. I know the new administration has been really active. But beyond that, appreciate you being on. Appreciate the good practical advice about NPDES permitting and its importance. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We'll talk to you soon. been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.